Does the law really work the way TV and movies depict? Let's discuss with Christine and Christine. Yeah. All right, hello, everybody. I am Christine Mattis. And again, welcome to everyone listening. This is our podcast, Law and Pop Culture. And I am here with my fabulous co-host, Christine Karen Sedigursky. And, uh, you know, we were just chatting about uh, before we jumped on everybody about, you know, how your daughter's doing, but I, I forgot, I was going to tell you that my husband, not well, uh, went home early, Chris. I mean, if anyone's oh. my husband, he, you know, you were talking about resilience. He never calls out sick, never, com- never, but he didn't look well this morning. And then he texts me saying at around 11, I'm going home. I'm like, Whoa, like t- honestly, that is earth shattering. I'm like, what's going on? So there is Uh-oh. a there is some type of cold bug going around in my house and I've been trying mm. to avoid it. So at mm. this point, I probably will be sleeping in another room again because I, I don't want to get sick. It just, you know, it slows the process. And I'll be honest with you, I am the hub of the family. So if mommy is slowed down, we're all slowed down. Everything's thrown off. I don't it's all know. over. It's all going to be top tea therapy. That's what happens. <laughs> and then tomorrow I have a wedding to go to, Chris. Now what? Oh, that's right. I know that. Are you free? I'm going to see if I can bring Emma. She's never been to the wedding, but uh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go by. I guess I should go by myself, but I. Listen to me when you need a date. (laughs) Call Chris. Come with me. I don't know. (laughs) That's where we are. All right, everyone. But thank you so much for joining us. And again, this is our fun podcast where we love to chat about things that we see in the news or movies. Uh, things that we've seen. I think what's fun is that sometimes there's movies that I had seen and I love to rewatch it again mm-hmm. with that eye that we always ask when we're talking about things. Does that really happen when it comes to law? You know, and then we try to chat about it. So we got a good one today, Chris. It's really on the same theme. you know. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we're all going on the same Jane Austen, but unlike the other two, three, you know, podcasts that we've done so far this is this isn't about women clamoring to get some type of inheritance from their parents in this particular case you know the the women are actually in good shape there was a subplot in this particular story which pertains to some estate planning which i think has a lot to do with what goes on right now when it comes to wills and this movie is emma okay your daughter emma but I'm sure you named her after this. <laughs> so for anybody who hasn't seen this movie yet, um, there are several versions of this movie. Emma was written by Jane Austen. Forget the year. But it's all about Emma, um, who is who's somewhat of a matchmaker. That's the fun part about what this story is about. So Emma is the daughter of a wealthy gentleman. She has a sister. You know, they are not really, you know, if she, if she, if her father passes away, she doesn't have any brothers that she has to contend with, but the assets still go to her. So it was never really about her from the estate planning perspective. Um, there, for her story, it's really about her finding the love of her life, even, you know, kind of indirectly by actually falling in love, realizing she's in love with somebody who is actually her friend. And here she is setting up other people to make sure that they marry well or, you know, or that they're, you know, that they're happy. In her mind, what she well, thinks is happening. Version, is, 
Yeah, she's the early version of eHarmony. Let's just say there you it. go. That that's pretty much it. Match that e is eHarmony at that time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Mm. And so you know, there in the story itself, there is a subplot here with a, a story regarding uh, somebody that she that Emma knew growing up, and she's heard of this gentleman. He was he was one of her probably a playmate when they were younger. But as they got older, he he moved away from from their um from their town from their you know from their area, and um he was raised by his late mother's um I believe it was her late mother's brother and his aunt. So, and they were very tough. They were they wanted to make sure he married well. Um they were you know they were kind of holding his inheritance and saying no you're not going to be entitled to this. Uh, if you don't marry well, you can't marry just anybody because they were those two were actually very unhappy about who Frank's real father was, who his name was Mr. Weston. He had right. uh, married, uh, you know, a, a sis, the, the sister, anyhow. Uh, but it's and because he wasn't Frank, uh, Frank Churchill really wasn't the son, the his aunt and uncle were able to do this. It's not like legally he was going to be receiving the estate to begin with because it was, you know, something they could they could give away as opposed to they had to give away, give away. And you know what? Wills now, you know, regardless of whether, you know, you're a child or not a child, you know, it is still about, you know, who would be receiving and you don't necessarily have to be an heir of the person to, who is writing the will to actually receive, just like how it was with Frank Churchill. But of course, with this whole story in Emma, where Frank Churchill, it was being dangled on him. He couldn't be with somebody who he really wanted to be with because he had to follow what his aunt and uncle wanted, which was to marry well. But here he was falling in love with the beautiful Jane Fairfax and the giving giving her a beautiful piano. And so it's a really cute you know, subplot within the story. They ended up together. Because the aunt passed away, yay, she was the one who was the problem to begin with. Sorry, yeah. not yay, but yes, for them, yeah. yay. <laughs> um, but, you know, but does this really happen? And you know what? It's one of those times when it really does happen pretty often. I mean, even even a child, you know, would if you if you tell uh, very often if, if you have a wealthy, you know, a wealthy couple, and they're like, well, I don't want you, who, I don't like who you marry. You know, they could absolutely ensure that you know, assets only get passed on to that child, never gets passed on to the wife, or completely disregards that child because of who they actually marry. So yeah. this happens in real life. And, you know, I, I've seen it happen, whether it's, you know, clients or hearing other people or, or something to that effect. It does happen where, you know, when you have control, when you, which is what really a person who is writing a will is doing, they now have control of who gets everything because they're putting it in writing as yeah. opposed to you die without a will and the state gets to decide who gets yeah. that money and it's going to go oh, to that child whether you like will, it or not. yeah <laughs> you know there's just a lot of other tools that you know clients and families can use if you really are that set upon who's getting the asset and how they're getting the asset when they're getting the asset you know there's things called trust you know, and I have to say in the last few years, we've had a very high demand for bloodline trusts, you know, people saying that, hey, you know, I only want to make sure this asset goes to my next of kin and that's it. I don't want in-laws involved. I don't want any, I don't want anybody else involved. I want this to pass 
through the generations through my my bloodline, you know, and that mm-hmm. is something, you know, to consider. You know, there's so many scenarios about that. But, you know, I've always said that if you have an issue, you know, you really should chat with your attorney when you're creating these plans because there is a solution to a lot of things that you might be concerned for, you concerned about, you know, there's many, many things like that. You know, you're, you're worried that you want this asset to be protected. You're worried you want this asset to get to the next generation. You want this asset to only go to this person and no, nobody else. I mean, yeah. You know, and and you really can create it. You have, like you said, the control, you're the creator. So, you know, that's the one thing to think about, you know, when we're helping clients, we want them to make sure they know, it's your decision. You know, we're here to just help you sound it out to make sure it makes sense. Because sometimes some of the things we ask for are like, oh, I don't know if we can do that. But for the most part, there's a lot of things we can do. So you really have to have that comfortableness with your attorney and just let them know what you want, you know. But yeah, I, I thought, you know, I love this movie. I just think, you know, just the whole time span and everybody, you know, and everything that's there. But yeah, the inheritance thing was uh, interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And you know, one thing I want to throw out there, Chris, was so say this was in New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. he wasn't, I don't know, would you say he was officially adopted? I guess. It, yeah, well, he changed his name. So in this particular, I, I I don't think even reading the book many years ago, I didn't I knew him to be, he was t- brought into the family. Right. But there's no legal adoption. Probably so of course if it was a legal adoption in New Jersey, technically he would have the right to you know, whether contest the will or, you know, file something against the estate in case that, you know, his parents, parents, now parents had actually taken him out. So he would have a right. But if he was just like, I don't know, brought into the family and raised by them, he took their name, but that didn't necessarily mean back then it was an actual child, then he might, you know, that's why he was doing so, he was doing everything he could to, you know, uh, stay that whole wedding that he wanted to plan with Jane because he couldn't, you know, he, he knew that he would be out of this inheritance if he so much as, you know, married somebody of less quality. You know how it is back then, right? So yeah. And so and from an adoption perspective, it doesn't seem like he was actually adopted. Yeah, he wouldn't have been worried so much. Yeah. And I think also, you know, like in New Jersey, so New Jersey is one of six states that has inheritance tax. Inheritance tax is based upon who is receiving the asset. So in this situation, even if he wasn't legally adopted, I guess he could be considered a stepson. And stepchildren in New Jersey, they can still receive tax free, you know, Mm -hmm. but if he was not related at all and not a stepson, uh, there would have been some type of inheritance tax due, you know, and that would have been, well, his nephew. Actually, he was a nephew. Yeah, nephew. but there's still inheritance. Oh, so, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Won't be scot-free, you know, but, you know, right now the first 25000 is tax-free and then above it, you're going to have to pay tax. So, you know, and these are all the things that you need to explore when you are leaving things to someone. We need to, in New Jersey, uh, explore what's your relationship with them. But it's right. fascinating to me uh you know uh, about that but anyway i thought that was just a great that is a great great movie you know it's fun it talks mm-hmm. about you know those things that you have to look at that you know again can you create you know requirements for someone to receive and you pretty much can you know you really can uh and there and there are some things that are for enforceable and some things that are not so right. but, you know it, it was a uh, fun to explore really fun uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I love the movie. I think it's always fun, you know, to oh, do. I love that movie. I love that story. I mean, everything yeah. Jane Austen, but 
yeah. and this kind of leads us to this to this story about Leona Helmsley as to you know people who get disinherited. Oh yes. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, again, being able to control who receives what and when is one of the privileges when you do decide to take control and create mm -hmm. a plan, you know? So this brings up to real life situation of Leona Helmsley. Uh, and, you know, you know, she had a lot of monikers, queen of mean and things like that, you know, but mm -hmm. one of the that highlights about her that jumps out, not just because of her incredible wealth, but that when she died, she had a bequest, $12 million to her Maltese dog. So you know, and I think a lot of people were just surprised about that. But that does open up avenues of, wow, what, what can we do? So just some, some background. Leona Helmsley, she married hotel mogul Harry Helmsley in 1972. Uh, and, you know, they were the epitome. That was during the 80s. You know, things were much different. Um, there was a lot of connotations about greed and money and things like that. Uh, but uh, Leona, she was uh, using company monies and phony invoices to charge the Helmsley Hotels for renovation uh, to their own personal property. Um, there was a 28-room Jacobian Hilltop mansion, 40 acres in Connecticut. So she was sued and, you know, she lost. And at age 71, she was ordered to uh, maximum security prison in Kentucky tax evasion and uh, April 15th, 1992, as well as fraud, the fraud and theft, a whole slew of charges. Um, after 21 months, though, that of because of good behavior, 11 days, she was released out of good behavior, right? And so once she was out, she was befriended by John Cody and he worked in real estate and had gifted her the infamous uh, dog, the Maltese dog, and the dog's name was Trouble. Trouble. <laughs> and, um, and, and what I'm hearing is that, you know, fond of biting people indiscriminately, eating from the menu. She often said that she could trust nobody but Trouble baby. I'll, I'll let you know. One of the things I've always said, Chris, is that if I can come back in another life, I'd love to be Oprah Winfrey's dogs, or I'd love to be Martha Stewart. So that that would be life. I'm sure it would be luxurious and fun. So Leona, she died in 2007, leaving behind $4 billion in assets. She had a 14-page will. Again, a little surprised that it wasn't a trust, because again, mm -hmm. everyone when you die with a will, it becomes a public document. And then we have here, we can talk about it in our podcast, or you'll have a trust and we can only speculate of trust is private. But anyway, she had a 14 page will. And uh, again, she had an she had her ideas of how things will be distributed. And, you know, she did have um, what they call testamentary trust for her grandchildren. Fine. Um, but yet, there was a final court ruling that did not conclude until earlier 2019, a full 12 years after her passing because of beneficiaries fighting. So this, you know, sadly went into um, probate litigation. Uh, and again, right, Chris, when we have a will, uh, there is a tendency for that to go into litigation more often than trust. Trust, again, Another thing to consider if you feel there might be infighting, uh, and there's many reasons why a trust would be better if you especially you have that kind of situation. Um, but basically, she had a will, 
And a lot of times people are asking, well, why did the probate process take so long? Um, and it is not only because she had such a big estate, there's just so much that had to be put in together, but apparently it was the language in her last will. She had disinherited two of her four grandchildren, yet her will only mentions them. I have not made any provisions in this will for my grandson, Craig, and my mm -hmm. granddaughter, Megan, for reasons which are known to them. Um, mm -hmm. And so what I'm hearing is that this was in contravention, opposition to the $12 million left to the dog trouble, who right. she should have buried beside her. So it, you know, when we create these plans, yes, we can put things that we want, who's going to get in and when, but it also has to flow, right? It has to make mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. We have a case right now where the will was just not made properly. It was poorly put together. And one of the differences is that this person had five children, but in the will saying, I want to leave everything to my one son, so-and-so. But what happened to the other children? What was the plan? And it does open up speculation. Did you forget? Did mm -hmm. you leave them something or did you not? We don't know. And it's vague. Vagueness is the death of a last will and testament. You have to be clear. You have to be precise and typically trusts are a little bit more precise. So anyway, that was one of the big issues is that there was such vague, it didn't even logically make sense. We were missing, we were disinheriting two of the four and then we decided to give 12 to the dog, 12 million to the dog. So they were saying this inequity really caused the turmoil. So the, of course, the grandchildren and everybody wanted to fight it. They were saying it wasn't you know, the reasons weren't clearly read out. It was a big omission. Um, a large bequest for her pet um, really made them question what was her state of mind? What was her capacity? I mean, all things that we would question, right, Chris? I know, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, you can question, a, you know, a will. One of the big is the incapacity, that you didn't have the right frame of mind. You didn't mm -hmm. understand what you were doing or undue influence, exactly. meaning someone pressured you that you created these things other so you know i don't know what they're saying that trouble pre pressured her i know i'm teasing i just <laughs> but you know these are the arguments that can be weighed you know full disclosure you know so that's why you know a lot of times again you know if you're going to have a will with these type of um you know these interests, you got to be precise you, yes. you got to make sense so interesting to me that people with much wealth and then that's what was put together I know <laughs> but you know what I'll be honest with you I, I can see why this is not a terrible will either Chris yeah I mean she was very clear that I'm not leaving anything for these people I am acknowledging them they haven't been forgotten but they're not happy about the results yeah so what happens in that kind of situation it's like wait a minute I what happened to me and this is Leona Helmsley talking from the grave right well, what happened to me when that's what I wanted? I didn't want to leave for those grandchildren. And here they are. They can contest. Why is this happening? Why is this? And then all this money on lawyers, you know, just to, because they, they're they mad that I didn't leave them anything. And this is ultimately what happens when you leave it out in the open in the will, which is why the trust yeah. is so much better when you're yeah. doing something that's not equitable, at least not equitable from a legal perspective because yeah. you know to you in your mind well this part you know very often i'll hear things like well why would i give it to this child when this child got college 
got wedding, got this, got that, and I never gave anything to this other child. Of course, it makes sense to give to that other child. So I would always say, put that in writing. Make it clear yeah. why you're making it, you know, uneven. 75, 25 between two children. If it's written, there's a reason. And yeah. even if they don't want to put it in a will, put it in a letter. Put in a letter that's to be opened with you when you pass away because that, and especially in your own handwriting, that kind of shows your frame of mind. And that could be used should one party complain saying, oh, there was no, there was undue influence here. I don't know why I'm only getting 25% when I should get 50. Um, I don't know. I have seen that. Uh, I've seen letters like that, you know, presented. And, you know, win arguments. So that might be something to consider if you're thinking about possibly not making everything equal between your children. Yeah. And, you know, the other issue when you want to pursue this, you know, if you want to contest a will, uh, you really have to have information that's strong enough to be convincing, whatever your point of view is going to be. And you have to have money to do it. These are yeah. Of endeavors. These are very, very expensive to go into litigation. You know, a lot of times people will say, well, uh, you know, probably, you know, well, the attorneys or whoever will take a percentage, not all the time, because, mm -hmm. they, you know, is there any, you know, guarantee of what the payout will be? And they can take a percentage of that. Probably not, you know, so, you know, which is always me telling everyone that there is really not a lot of case law when it comes mm -hmm. to litigation, state litigation, because, it gets so expensive. Most of the time, the parties settle. They settle at yeah. a certain point. And the mm -hmm. ones that get to, you know, get written up and everything, those are good cases, but it's so hard. You need more to help me. So you're, you're piecing together things that you can only assume. And, you know, and that, no, well, that's the job of the attorney, right? To gather what they can to create a good argument for you. But you know what's interesting, Chris? So I've, you and I have had a couple of these kind of cases where we're in litigation. And, you know, when we, when there's an allegation that the testator did not have capacity, that say the executor or whoever was the beneficiary exerted such influence on the, um, the deceased, that that's why they changed the will and gave everything to that person. Um, you know, what's interesting is that the burden does shift where mm -hmm. that person who's going to be accused of doing the undue influence for some reason, for example, they have to show that they had nothing to do with the blocking the communication or that they were the ones that made it difficult for that parent or that love other loved one who was disinherited uh, to be involved in their life. You know, it is unfair. It's hard. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but and that's why these things take time. This is a lot, this will take time. I mean, this, in this case itself from 2016 and finally in 2019, it was resolved. And in the Helmsley case, the court awarded a hundred million dollars to divide it equally between the executors, an additional 6.25 million to be paid to the estate of the fit. I mean, again, this just got way out of hand, right. uh, you know, and, and sadly look at it. These were things that happened. They upheld the executor's request for a hundred million dollar fee, explaining that their efforts could not be accurately measured by an hourly compensation and that the executors faced extensive challenges when they were trying to uh, probate the estate, which is right. I see that. Yeah. So, you know, basically the decision resulted in fees to the executor, um, you know, and, and in the big picture, I don't see anything here that, you know, change really and challenged her state of mind it just was like a big it was just a big mess of people fighting yeah. again this with the will 
there's a big pot of money and everyone wanted to have a piece of it. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened in the end. Rather than just going to the beneficiaries that Leona wanted to provide for. You know, some ways to do it, right, Chris? So yes, yeah. if you have a will. But then take a look at your assets. Is there a chance? And again, you also have to be mindful of tax implications. But certain assets, you can name a beneficiary. Certain assets, you know, you could earmark for certain people and that would go to them directly and no need for probate, no need for this, exactly. that, you know, would go right to them. Exactly. So who knows? You know, I'm sure, you know, with a $4 billion estate, she probably had a mix of all of those. And then these were the assets that she really couldn't name a beneficiary, you know, such as properties, which to me, then were ripe to be placed in some type of trust. But we don't know. Yes, exactly. Well, I don't know the details, but that would be an interesting accounting to look at. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, that wraps up our last, our latest episode. So I hope everyone enjoyed that, you know, I as we always enjoy, you know, talking about things that we've seen and things in the news and just clarifying it and, and going over, you know, just exactly what happened. Because I know a lot of times, Chris, will have friends and families saying like they're hearing things in the news about this person, this celebrity. And they're yeah. like, what didn't happen? And I love explaining that, saying like this, or sometimes you're saying like, yeah, that shouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you know what? That happened. Wow. Hmm, yeah. I can see that happening. <laughs> I do that a lot too, because I mean, seeing so many of these cases come to fruition. And then when somebody tells me, oh, this is what I hear. This is what I hear. Mm -hmm, yep. You know, That's something that could happen. <laughs> so it goes either way. It's all fun stuff. Well, thank you, everybody. And we will be back again with our next episode. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening. For more, go to mattislaw.com.